When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A voice that we've grown up with, Matthew, a voice of a generation, one of the uh, the finest callers in the history of combat sport, not to t- put too much pressure on him early, but we're here joined live in the studio with our man, the voice, Michael Schiavello. How are you, mate? It is so great to be here with you guys, but every time someone says they grew up with me, I feel so old. <laughs> I'm surely not that old. And you know what? I always get fighters come up to me going, oh, you were the voice of my childhood. I'm oh. like, how old am I? <laughs> We're all pretty old here, don't worry about <laughs> that. And look, we talk about how much we've grown up with him, but a whole new cast of uh, audience would have got to hear him on the weekend doing the uh, mm. the undercard for the Tim Zoo fight you were on Fox Sports, mate. So that was exciting. It was a lot of fun. You know, that, that show was fantastic. No Limits did a great show there at Kudos Bank Arena. To see Timmy, you know, get that knockout was awesome and the undercard was superb and... Uh, some controversy, some rip-offs. I'll put it out there. Ben Marnie got ripped badly. Ooh, boy. Uh, yeah, but uh, it was a lot of fun to be back on Fox Sports and calling live boxing. Yeah, no doubt. I actually agree with that too, Ben Marnie. If you're listening, yes. Justice for Ben, please. That draw was... Uh, Hashtag, right? Hashtag <laughs> justice for Ben. Absolutely get it trending. But, mate, yeah, it's great to see you on this stage again here in Australia because obviously you've done just so much for so many years around the world, all different sports. For the listeners out there that might not be, you know, fully around you... Just give us a brief sort of synopsis on The Voice and how much you've actually done. Oh, man. Jeez. It goes back to fight commentary. For me, started in 1994 locally. And then since then, of course, K1 was the mm-hmm. voice of K1 for years. Dream, Dynamite, K1 Max, Access TV fights, Olympic Games, Commonwealth Games, <laughs> one championship. It just keeps mm-hmm. going on and on and on. But it's been a certainly been a long time. Been, been calling fights since I was 20 years old. And you, you talk about that, and we're very uh, new to the, the game, I guess. You've just come on, and the energy in the room is just instantly it just. It's, I've, <laughs> I feel perked. Don't worry about the coffee. But how do you? Is it just an absolute embedded passion that you have for the sport and for doing what you love to do that just gets you going from that and just getting a room so excited? It really is. It's just a. It's just a natural. F- a switch that flicks inside me every time I go on. Every time the green light comes on, it mm. it's, it flicks on inside me, and it's something that co-commentators of mine over the years have almost struggled with a little bit before they've embraced it it because like, how do we come up to this? I did a show recently with a commentator I'd never worked with before a local show. And, um, after the, after the show, he turned around and said to me, he goes, I'm flabbergasted. He goes, I thought I was quick and passionate. He goes, but commentating next to you is like, you're in the slipstream. I go, I've never heard that before the slipstream. Okay. I like that. But it's just that natural energy. I think if you've got passion for anything and I've got passion for broadcasting, passion for commentary, and that passion comes out in you. And I enjoy watching and listening to anyone who has a passion about anything. I could be talking to a janitor cleaning the floors here at SEN. And if he's passionate about that, I will listen to that guy for hours. I think passion is one of the most beautiful things a human being can possess. It really is. I agree with you. And yeah, as you said, it's not just, you know, some people might love fighting so that, you know, they want to be in the fight game. It's not just 
combat sports for you, is it? It's commentary as a whole and sports commentary in general that you have that passion for. And it's, as you said, it doesn't matter what it is. It really is. A couple of years ago, I wrote a book called The Commentators, yeah. 100 Years of Sports Commentary, which became a number one bestseller. Mm -hmm. And I was thrilled with, and I got to talk to some of the best commentators from various sports around the world. So my knowledge and the knowledge of these guys and the history of commentary and to be able to analyze some of the best sports commentaries over the last hundred years off radio and television uh, in the culmination of that book, I think was just a, a real uh, something special for me. A friend of uh, our podcast and, uh, and this radio show, Mike Altamira, gave us the tip about the book as well. I'd like to ask you, how do you match the energy to put it into a book? And it obviously went well being a best number one seller. How, how was that process for you to, to get all your passion and love from the voice to the paper, I guess. I've always been a big fan of listening to commentary, even if it's a sport that I don't really watch. So, for example, I'm not a big horse racing fan. I don't watch horse racing. I'm not a, I'm not a punter, but I enjoy listening to horse racing commentary. I'll be yeah, driving yeah. around and I'll have SEN track on yes, in the car. I'm the just, same. Just to listen yeah. to the commentators. Yeah, I don't fight. know the horses or the jockeys. <laughs> yeah. I have no idea who's going to win. I do not care, but I want to hear the call. It's yes. its own art form, isn't it? It, it is an art yeah. form. you know. Yeah. And then be able to talk to race commentators overseas and some of the great commentators and, and you know Greg Miles and guys like that and see how they do it and how they achieve and perfect their art and to put that into a book and bring that passion across in a book. And people reading that were like, wow, reading these stories is like, watching this commentary again or listening to it on radio, reliving that moment, so many sports moments. There was, uh, I think the forward in that book was written by the great JR, Jim Ross. Is it that was. correct? Uh, how was he to deal with? Because he's obviously an icon in himself with the bar gold, bar gold, stop the damn match. JR, you know, JR's a, a legend and I had the privilege of meeting him for the first time when I interviewed him for The Voice Versus, my mm -hmm. TV show that yep. used to be on Access TV in America. And uh, he was wonderful. And his stories, I mean, there's a guy I could sit down with for hours and listen to him tell stories. And, yep. of course, he was very close with my all-time favorite commentator, Gorilla Monsoon. Yes. yes. And so I was just, when we were off air, I was constantly asking Jim about stories about yeah. Gorilla Monsoon, yeah, you know, because I grew up as the biggest Gorilla Monsoon fan. Yeah. And Jim and Gorilla were so close. But Jim Ross is a great guy. I like that you mentioned Gorilla Monsoon. I had him in my notes to ask about as well. Because, yeah, as a child growing up as well, he's a big part of it. His rapport there with uh, Bobby the Brain Heenan was just iconic with the would you stop? Oh, him, him and Bobby were <laughs> tremendous. Him and Jesse Ventura, I think, oh. were probably the greatest tandem of all time. But it goes back to, like, 1985 for me and in March. And I remember my mum my after school telling me, hey, there's something on television tonight. WrestleMania, WrestleMania, something Oh, WrestleMania, mum. Yeah. She goes, would you like to watch it? Just this one time you can watch it and see if you like it. And I'd never watched wrestling before. Again, March 1985. Mm -hmm. So WrestleMania 1 comes on television. I think it was Channel 9 at the time that showed WrestleMania. And I hear this big, booming voice. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Madison Square Garden. Welcome to the extravaganza of <laughs> WrestleMania. And I'm like, who is this guy? Yeah. This is awesome. <laughs> My mind was blown. Yep. And then you see the executioner versus Tito Santana in the opening match. And before the ad break, there's this guy called King Kong Bundy, yes. who's the biggest <laughs> human being I've ever seen. And he's wearing this, this, this uh, tight black lycra. 
and he comes out and beats Special Delivery Jones in nine seconds. Special Delivery And Jones. then I remember, yeah, right? Yeah. Channel 9 cut to an ad break straight after that, and I was taping it on the old VCR. Yeah. So during the three-minute ad break, I'm rewinding <laughs> and watching Bundy absolutely <laughs> demolish SD Jones in nine seconds over and over. I was in love with wrestling. I was in love with Gorilla Monsoon. That's that a risky move, yeah. isn't it? The rewind and rewatch. Oh, it was touch and go. <laughs> yeah, Do you is... get there in time? Do you get to the yeah. same spot on the tape? Stressful. <laughs> so that's kick-started the lifelong love affair? Just that, you reckon? It really did. That was yeah. it there and then. Unbelievable. And you know what? They always say that mums have a, a sixth sense about their children and where their children should go. And for my mum to direct me in the path of WrestleMania mm. and then later in my career, and this is an interesting story, in year 10, of course, you have to do work experience. Yes. And I wanted to be an architect. That's Ooh, all yeah. I wanted and to be growing up. Vandalay, right? I was the George Costanza <laughs> of my school. I wanted to be an architect. Amazing. And I wrote away to 20 architecture firms and none of them wrote back. And I was crying to my mum. There was a month to go until until work experience. And I'm crying to my mum. And my mum out of nowhere says to me, You've got a good voice. Why don't you do radio? And mm. I'm like, I don't want to do radio. I want to be an architect. She goes, just just humor me, just right away to a radio station. So I wrote away to a radio station. And it was Triple M at the time because mm -hmm. I used to listen to them. They had the D-Generation on back then. Yeah. And, you know, they were great back yep. then. And I wrote away. And lo and behold, two weeks later, on my birthday, I still have the letter, April 10, 1990, they wrote back saying, come in for a week's work experience. As soon as I went in there, guys, and I stepped into a studio like this, yeah. like we're in right now, Every thought of being an architect disappeared. Yep. I just wanted to do broadcasting, radio, media. That was it for me. Well, you could, uh, I reckon you could still say you're an architect. You're an architect in the form of presenting. I, I, I can still claim it, right? Yeah. I, I build the foundation of good broadcast. You build the I atmosphere. am the Art Vandalay of commentary. <laughs> there we it. go. There we are. It's a new <laughs> one for you. So, and we had, um, we had John Anikon when we were over in Perth for the UFC, and he made some, a really good point because we were sort of like, how do you – because he's a man that I reckon matches your energy from just speaking with him and seeing him and seeing how excited he is. But he was saying he needs to deliver his best performance every single time because it's going to be there for, for generations. And, yeah. and so I feel like if, if anyone goes back and listens to anything you've done, it's you, you've taken it with like it's your last call. You do it with so much passion. And I feel like that's the respect that you give back to it because you want someone watching it for the first time in many years later to have the same experience that I guess you felt in that moment. So it's, it really is etched in stone when you've done it. You've got a four or five hour window of a pay-per-view, a live show, and that is your moment. All the build up for weeks in preparation, you know, talking to the fighters, preparing your notes, mm. going to the arena, rehearsing. It all comes down to this very small window where you must be perfect from the moment the on-air light goes on to yeah. you go off air at midnight or wherever it is, wherever you are around the world. And I've commentated in 26 different countries around the world, but it's always the same. And it's that pressure. But when you commentate, and I think John and so many other commentators I spoke to when I was writing the book do agree that the blinkers go on. Mm -hmm. You are so focused that literally a bomb could go off next to you and you wouldn't realise it. Yeah. You know, people screaming in the audience at a show, you don't realise it because you are so honed and tuned on what you are calling yeah. and all your effort is just focused on this very narrow window yeah. that you're just putting all your energy into that. And I think you mentioned you got hit in the back of the head with a pie at UFC in Perth. Have you ever had any sort wow. of weird objects? Projectiles? Yeah. A, a couple of times. I think I got hit once with a bottle. I've had random people come up and hug me while I'm live on air on TV. Oh, it's like, God. All right. And you just got to shrug it off and keep going. And, yeah. uh, you know, it's the same if anyone ever makes a mistake. You know, you just keep going, keep going past it and power through it. And, uh, 
and it's just it's it's the creation of that art form and it really is an art form for that small window as i said that you're commentating with and me. as much as it is you want to do the best job and everything 100 the, the level of fun is still there so like you said if someone comes and hugs you you just keep going don't you because at the end of the day you're trying to portray that level of how much passion you've gotten fun across so if you, you need get to have fun it, it would, fun yeah. is 100 percent a big part of it because i've found that commentators who don't have fun and i've worked with a lot of them who put so much pressure on themselves with their notes with their statistics to get all their words right to, to just sound everything correctly they're not having fun yeah. and when they're not having fun that's when they make mistakes mm. and that's when the passion doesn't come through because if you're reading off notes if you're relying on statistics there's no passion there no, no. my biggest advice i give to commentators is don't think about commentary feel commentary yeah. you have to feel it you have to be in the moment only when you feel a commentary yep. can you deliver a great commentary not a good commentary but great. a great commentary yeah. talking <laughs> about entertainment and having fun while you do your job there's probably no one in the history of sports commentary that does it quite like yourself you you're well known for your one-liners and your catchphrases. I'm going to do it. Let me know if this is any good or not. Here we go. <laughs> good night, Irene. Not bad. That not was a bad. bit more Daryl Eastlake. Sorry <laughs> that was, about that. That was very Eastlake. <laughs> very Daryl Eastlake. Or what about the big kibosh? <laughs> any good or no good? Not bad. I'm not yeah. bad. I feel like, yeah, it's very sort of uh, NRL state of origin or, with, uh, a, with a touch of shit. Mal Meninga. Yeah, that's... <laughs> Sorry about that. We're going into business for myself here. But uh, take us through how that style eventually. Did you start like that or was it a slow sort of journey? No, you know what? I, I sort of started like that. My, my first thing I ever called was track and field for APS Athletics, high school athletics back in 1991. I was in year 11 and uh, I was allocated a 1500 meter or a 2000 meter race. The, way, the race, the other commentators who were other mates of mine didn't want to commentate. And for some reason, towards the finish line, I screamed out, good night, Irene. Mm. <laughs> and I had no idea at the time where it came from. And I was thinking through my thinking through my memory, where did this come from? And again, it goes back to Gorilla Monsoon. It goes back to wrestling. If you remember a wrestler called Adorable Adrian Adonis. Adonis. Yes. Adrian Adonis had a finishing move that was a sleeper hold called the good night, Irene. Uh -huh. So I'd remembered in my subconscious, yeah. Gorilla Monsoon calling the good night, Irene on an Adrian Adonis finishing hold. Yeah. And I just slipped it into commentary and track and field. Later when I was commentating soccer on radio, I used to say good night, Irene, when a goal was scored. <laughs> And then I said it in my sport, in my fight commentary, and it sort of just took off, you know. And did you, Did you ever have a, a co-commentator that might not have known fully what you bring to the table when you've dropped a one line and just sort of look at you at the oh, hundred yeah. <laughs> percent. Yeah, Pat, Pat Militich used to be like that all the time over yeah. in the states. Pat yeah. Militich, of course, UFC Hall of Famer, yes. one of the all-time greats, and him and I commentated together on Mark Cuban's Access TV network for seven oh, years. Yeah. But Americans are very conservative. Yes. And Australian humour is very mm. lax, you know. Yeah, we're, we're, it's very larrikin. It's very blokey. Doesn't so a lot of the stuff that I would say, and it's stuff that Americans really couldn't get away with saying on television, mm. Pat would just look at me flabbergasted, <laughs> you know, mouth ajar. And yeah. afterwards, he's, he'd say to me, he goes, if you were American, he goes, we would be banned right now. You could never <laughs> have said that on American TV. But I think that's what... Um, you know, why the American audience embraced me so much is yes. that I could get away with this. I could push those boundaries and yeah. deliver a, a sense of excitement that Americans are very conservative in their commentary. You don't hear them with that big level of excitement. No. Yeah, and there's been a lot of them. Like obviously, there's the uh, the more muscles in a seafood buffet. That's a big <laughs> one. 
I heard one recently that caught my eye. I think I can say it on radio. He said, "You've he's taken more punishment than a bondage parlor. <laughs> yeah. That's quiet. That's probably one you're talking about. <laughs> I wasn't talking from first-hand experience. Please let that be known. <laughs> That'll be the headline that the digital, <laughs> right. digital guys are always looking for a headline. This year. It'll be Michael Chiavello. Bondage man. Oh, but people always ask, where do they come from? Do you write them down? Do you yeah. rehearse them? The answer is no. It's just like a lid opens in my head and someone puts them in there. Because again, I think if you write them down, if you rehearse them, it's unnatural. It's yes. not organic. And that excitement is not there. So they just come out of the blue. Yeah, definitely. I love that. And as you said, you've obviously, I think I've read that it was over 7,000 fights. That was probably a few years ago. So it's probably 8,000 by now yeah. that you call 8,000 fights in your career. It's just incredible. It really is. Have you got, just on short notice now, like a top two, three, four oh, favourite like, memories? We love a list called? here. We love a list on well, Big on list. So later on, uh, for those viewers or those listeners who are unaware, go on YouTube and watch a fight in K1 Max between Michael Zambides and a guy called Chahid. Mm-hmm. And this was in Seoul, Korea, maybe back in 2008, I want to say, 2009. And it was the most electrifying fight I'd ever seen. These guys went toe-to-toe for three rounds and then an extension round. And it was crazy. It was myself and the great Ray Sefo commentating. Mm-hmm. So for me, that was number one. I think Masato and Buakau in K1 Max was also great. I think in one championship when Onglan Sung uh, fought Ken Hasegawa in Myanmar. And it was just a meltdown that was incredible. Yeah. Uh, there have been so many good fights over the years I've called that I've been, I've been privileged to. But uh, I think Zambides versus Chahid was number one. Probably the most watched kickboxing fight of all time because it's been so viral. And uh, just everyone you speak to around the world in kickboxing would pre- pretty much have that in their top three of all time. And uh, I'm going to call him a friend of ours. We always claim friends of ours when they mm. come on the show. But Sam Greco, he's Big a friend, friend of ours. He's and a uh, of ours. I reckon if your eyes could tell stories, some of the, I guess, environments and scenes and fights you, you would have saw in that kickboxing, uh, you know, when it was really peaking here um, in Australia and Melbourne, I, I can't believe some of the stories you must have around that. Sam was a beast back in the day. Oh. I remember Sam making his kickboxing debut. You know, he'd been a, a power karate fighter and he'd been knocking people out senseless in Kyokushin karate and yep. moved to kickboxing fought a guy called Simon Sweet at the tennis center, the, the, the Rod Laver Arena, um, back in one of his first fights. It may have been his first fight. Knocked him out with a Superman punch, oh. the balk right hand, put him through the ropes. It was incredible. But a great story about Sam Greco. When Sam moved to WCW, and WCW came to Melbourne in 1999 or 2000, 2000 it was. Yep, yep. First time I met Goldberg, who became a great friend of mine, and Sam introduced me to Bill Goldberg. But I remember being backstage with Sam and, and speaking to Sam, and he was pointing out guys like Kevin Nash. Yeah. And he's like, um, those guys won't fight me in the ring. I'm like, why not, Sam? He goes, because they, they know that I'm the real deal. I'm not fake, and they're scared <laughs> I won't pull my kicks. Because Sam was known back in WCW yeah. for knocking, you know, his move was a high kick, yeah. a roundhouse kick from Kyokushin. Mm-hmm. So they were worried oh, about God. competing against Sam, yeah. even though it's professional wrestling, yeah. because they were afraid that Sam wouldn't be able to pull his kicks, which, of course, it's Sam Greco. He yeah. would pull his he kicks, but he, yeah. he was the real deal. He yeah. was Sam Greco, and his reputation preceded him in WCW that a lot of those guys didn't want to get in the ring with Sam. Absolute beast of a human being. He oh, really yeah. is. Tremendous. And another, this is for my own interest. Back in that era, the Sam Greco era as well, in the Fox Sports days, there was a man we used to watch on our friend's uh, bed. 
<laughs> we, were, we actually were probably about 18 or 20 at this point, but we used to sit on his yeah, bed. Yeah, you might have said like we were 12. Yeah, we were 12. <laughs> we were growing men oh, I was suddenly feeling very old yeah, again. <laughs> we used to sit on his bed and watch some fights before we'd go out. It was our ritual. There was a man by the name of the Headhunter. Oh, Stanley Nandex. Stanley Nandex. We that guy, oh. if you don't know him, go look some Headhunter highlights. Oh, some of the goodness. most outrageous oh, oh, oh. Could that guy bring the violence? Stanley was a discovery of Tarek Solak from Papua New Guinea. We'd never heard of this bloke before. And to look at him... Before he took his shirt off, because yeah. he was ripped, stripped oh and straight out. He was more muscles than a seafood buffet, really Stanley Nandex. <laughs> but to look at him with his shirt on, you'd think he was a taxi driver from Papua New Guinea. Uh -huh. You'd think nothing of him. Nah. Then the first time we saw him step in the ring on Fox Sports, he peels off his shirt. <laughs> he is absolutely chiseled yeah. like, uh, like a Greek statue, yes. a Greek god. And he comes in with these big bobsleds of feet. He must have had size 13 feet. And he round kicked people's heads off. Sent them to the astral plane. Yeah. It was incredible. Just Some all of the hell. sounds that those kicks must have made oh, were just... Were the just, impact. Oh. I can still hear them now. Oh, Including 720 spins and all yeah. sorts of stuff. He was, he was nuts. And you know what? Originally, uh, the, the nickname we tried to push for him... On Fox Sports, I remember with Andy Raymond was Stanley Knife, because like Stanley Knife, yes. Stanley Knife Nandex, <laughs> and Tarek Solak insisted nah. he be called Headhunter, yep. and he said, I'm going to show you why he's Headhunter, and literally after two fights, we're like, yep, that guy's Headhunter. He, he just he, tries to he, kick your head off. The essence of a Headhunter. Where's he at now, you reckon? We know where he's gone? I don't know if Stanley's back in Papua New Guinea, hasn't fought in a long time, but he was a hero back in PNG. And so hopefully he's over there living the, uh, the okay, hero's life. The last time you asked that question on our podcast, we, we then did a quick Google and found out the person was no longer with us. So it's uh, always a bit risky going, going sort of uh, Oh, jeez, you had me worried for a moment. I thought you were going to say Stanley's <laughs> no, no, no longer no. with us. We hope Stanley's okay. okay. But I'm just saying, when you, sort of, when you ask live questions like that, you That's a way to kill the mood, isn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah. Sadly, he uh, passed <laughs> away a couple Someone of years ago. Someone will say, how'd you go on the show with the boys? Because, you, you know, you have that energy and you go, well, they actually managed to dower that for the first time in my career. So that would be interesting. <laughs> Mate, we, as I said before, we could talk forever, but I've got to get this in before we yes, leave. Sure. Stone Cold Steve Austin, oh. a hero of mine, a hero of millions. No, I can't tell. You're not here wearing a Stone Cold T-shirt, <laughs> no, are you? No, not at all. Not at all. Every week I wear a different one, I think. But if he was fully committed, though, he would he would adapt to the hairstyle. He would have got our like hairstyle, us. right? That's right. <laughs> We're the bigger fans. Due to the boldness. No, of course not. But you, you've had a, f a lot to do with him. You've yeah. interviewed him. One of his greatest interviews of his career was with you. Yep. Just t talk us through the Texas Rattlesnake. Oh, man, it was Labor Day in America. Interviewed him for The Voice Versus and had never met Steve before. And we clicked. We got on like a house on fire from, from straight away at the start of the interview. And when we wrapped it up, it was, he said, the best interview he'd ever done. It was a huge rating success on a Friday night on prime time in America. And after that, Stone Cold and I became friends. And uh, still to this day, he calls me and we call each other to say hello. And for years, of course, when he was doing his Broken Skull uh, sessions, sessions on WWE yep. Network, interviewing their stars, he'd ring me. And Stone Cold would ask for advice on how to get the best out of his guests and how to interview them uh, because I'd gotten the best out of him, which was yeah. really humbling for me because here's a guy who was so famous, he could ring David Letterman, Jimmy yep. Kimmel, and say, hey, Dave, hey, Jimmy, how do I interview guys? And he would ring me and ring call you. me, you know, and, and just ring up to say hello. During COVID, when he heard about the crazy lockdowns in mm. Melbourne, he'd give me a call. Hey, brother, how is it down there? Are you okay? Is the family okay? And that's the type of guy Stone Cold is. And that is why he has been so successful yeah. because he does that work. You know, he researches, he does the work. He's not afraid to ask for advice. And I can't talk highly enough about Stone Cold. Two of the great, uh, I won't call them name drops, but two of the great, wrestlers of all time and Goldberg and Stone Cold and he's, he's friends with both of them this man so he's also quite you, uh, <laughs> good friends with one Joe Rogan as well he's got quite oh, the uh, tell you quite what. the teledex do they call it the old <laughs> yeah. <file of> fact? <laughs>
Joe's a Joe's a great guy. You know, I, I went on his podcast a couple of times back, back in the, in the very, yeah, very back in the early, early days yeah, when he yeah. was doing it out of his his house where he used to live out in uh, outside of Los Angeles. Uh, met his wife and his lovely family, and we hung out a few times. Went to the UFC together. I think it was when uh, Alistair beat Brock. I went to the UFC mm. with Joe and Kevin James, and Unreal. we got to hang out with those guys. Joe's great and super smart, and I think just a fantastic commentator and a great commentator on life in general through his. Joe Rogan Experience podcast. I love Joe. Can't say enough about that guy either. I tell you that uh, those humble beginnings for Joe with that podcast have led to amazing yeah, things. Yeah, you would they? never because have thought back in when you went on, as you said, it's just out of his own house. It really so was out of his out of his house, and now he, he sold it to Spotify for like a hundred million dollars yeah. or wherever it was, and he's getting the biggest guests in the world on there, and it's it's become a, a cultural phenomenon. The Joe Rogan podcast, it is, and yeah. it, it it affects so much of such a big community and it trends on Twitter every week because it it's so controversial as well. Yes. And Joe just does a great job. And we still stay in touch. You know, we message each other back and forth and, and stay up to date and um, he'll check in and I'll check in and Joe's a great guy. Well, I'm sure he'll be listening to this as well. Yeah, oh, of course he will. I was just going to say the power of podcasts as well. Anyone that goes on his show, you know, like you said, talk about his show trending, they're instantly straight away know, put out into the, the stratosphere. It's a, it's a, like he gives them the rub now. People the you've never wrestling. heard about, you know, there's yeah. scientists yeah. on there you've never heard about, critics you've never heard about and suddenly they are launched into a, another stratosphere of fame because mm. they went on the Joe Rogan podcast. Well, The Voice, mate, it's been an absolute pleasure having you in here. I reckon we'll do this again another time. I'd because, love to, guys. Yeah, we could do this over and over again, no doubt about it. I think it, I want to make him a regular. I've just gone, I've just gone yep. live on air with you. I think we'd love to get him in more often.